marketing strategist, entrepreneur, keynote speaker in over 42 different countries, as well as the international best-selling author of 12 books, including this, the updated eighth edition of the new rules of marketing and PR. Would you please welcome Mr. David Meerman Scott? Hey guys, how are we doing? Jim and Chris, great to be here. Yeah, we got, we got all the mistakes out of the way. The batteries are replaced, David. Uh, everything everything is, is, is locked and loaded. You did, you did a great job dancing there in the beginning. I've been there. <laughs> I know what it's like, um, but um, smooth as silk, I would say. Well, thank you. Thank you. But it's, it's really an honor to have you with us today, thank David. You. And uh, you know, I know uh, we, we had, had a little bit of conversation before, um, but do you want to tell, because maybe not Everybody knows who you are. You want us to tell tell us a little bit about yourself and yeah, sure. You so I got out of school. I thought I wanted to be a bond trader. I worked a couple of years on Wall Street. I hated bond trading. I was terrible at it. But what I loved was the information that the bond traders were using. So I spent 15 years in the real time financial information business. Uh, companies like Dow Jones. I worked for 10 years in Asia, Tokyo, and Hong Kong. Um, and I found a new way to do marketing. So in 2002, I went out on my own to talk about this idea of creating content in order to do marketing. Uh, and uh, it was great. Um, started blogging early 2005. The new rules of marketing and PR in the first edition came out in 2007. And 2007 was a remarkable year. Not only did the new rules of marketing and PR first come out, the first iPhone. Uh, Twitter uh, became available. Facebook, not only just for students anymore, but available to anybody. So there's tons of cool things happening in 2007. Um, and since then, I've done 12 books, uh, as you kindly mentioned, spoken all over the country. And this book, The New Worlds of Marketing and PR, now in the eighth edition, um, and also available in 29 languages from Albanian to wow. Vietnamese. And super interestingly... Um, I've got books in both Ukrainian and Russian. Uh, so uh, I'm looking, I was looking at the covers the other day and they're really interesting that they're looking at the juxtaposition between what those two covers look like. So, <laughs> That's uh, killer. That's amazing. So, so, you, so there's different, obviously they're spelled differently. They're in different languages. So is, I mean, what are the variations in the different countries? I'm interested in hearing about that. Well, what's really interesting is it doesn't have anything to do with the author. So, my publisher, and in the case of the New Rules of Marketing and PR is Wiley, in the case of my book, Fanocracy, that came out a couple of years ago, it's Penguin Random House. They have worldwide rights, then they can sell the rights to a publisher in a different country. And then once the publisher buys the rights, there's a one-off uh, upfront payment and then a royalty per copy. They can publish it however they want. They translate it. They create a brand new cover. Each cover oh. is different. Um, I have right here a, um, a Korean version of my book, Fanocracy. Um, each <laughs> cover is different. Um, so it's just really, really interesting that um, that they're all like different versions of the original book. And I have a huge collection in the another part of my, um, my office here where I've got a, a shelf with all of the different editions of the various books, the various editions, the various languages. And uh, it's kind of super cool. <laughs> yeah, it is cool. That that that's definitely a collection worth worth having. So the other thing that that we've noticed uh, first and foremost is is that that little thing you have uh, to your left and to uh, uh, to the right of you on our screen, uh, which so, is yeah, obviously a surfboard. 
couple um, of different things. Grain surfboards. There's the Grateful Dead logo over here. So Grain Surfboards is one of my favorite examples of an organization that is using the new rules of marketing and PR. So they're a wooden surfboard manufacturer and uh, they've become the premier wooden surfboard manufacturer. They have a proprietary boat building technique. Uh, they don't spend any money on advertising. What they do is they engage with fans uh, on social media. They're big on Instagram. They're on some of the other social media as well. They have a great website. Um, and they're not afraid of sharing their technology. In other words, they're not afraid of giving away their proprietary information. The way they build the surfboard is super unique um, because prior to grain surfboards, there was no such thing as a hollow wooden surfboard. It was impossible to build, but their secret idea is that they use a, um, a special plug made out of Gore-Tex. It allows air in, but not water. They tell people how to make them. You can buy the plans. You can go to their factory, which I did twice, to make your own surfboard. And the, all of the things that they're doing generates attention for grain surfboards and allows them to become bigger and, um, and sell more and grow and, and serve fans like me. I made this surfboard. How cool is that? And when That's I amazing. when I'm surfing, um, and I I have another grain surfboard surfboards that I'm that I made. When I'm surfing, people are like, wow, that's super cool. Where'd you get that? I made it. I tell them, and I tell them about the factory. <laughs> um, and I think this is true for any business, for any individual. When you're out there creating information, being on the social networks, that that's a fabulous way to get noticed. Yeah. Do you think, though, that there are a lot of uh, marketers, companies uh, that kind of hold stuff back because they're afraid that, that oh, I don't want to give away this secret sauce, right? Or I want to keep that for the paywall. What, why, um, why do you see that, that sort of happening where they're, they're not doing what uh, this green surfboard uh, company is doing? Oh, totally. There's so many organizations that hold things back. One of the main reasons is that companies, for whatever reason, have been a holdover of the old days um, when only the salespeople or only the company representatives delivered the information. I mean, think about buying a car 20 years ago. I mean, you had to like walk into a dealership and the dealer had to tell you about the car. It was very hard to do research prior to the web. I mean, you mm -hmm. could use, say, consumer reports or something like that. Um, but today we have like near perfect information with review sites, um, with people who do videos, you know, even something similar to what we're doing now, showing different cars and all the different features. Um, and many times uh, companies activists as if that's not possible and, and they're doing a disservice because if you're not sharing information about your products and services, then people will go somewhere other than you to get that information. And then you no longer have the ability to say what you want to say about what it is that you do so well. Yeah. And, and I wanted to add to David, something that you hit on in the book that always kind of bothers me with my friends that are in like the financial and the healthcare industry is like, oh, well, we can't talk about this. Yeah, and you kind of, yeah. you really kind of hit on that in there. And you talked about like how Innova up in Northern Virginia, which is where I grew up, has like, you know, actually gotten out of their own way, I guess. And why, why do you, th you know, why do you think that is? And do you think it's ever going to change? I mean, I don't know if you're friends with Winnie's son. Like, she's one of those that has 
embraced putting it out there and and does a great job of it. And I, I just don't uh, just don't get it sometimes. It's it's really interesting because um, as I mentioned at the top, I worked in the financial industry when I first started, and finance the financial information is highly regulated. The um, um, the medical profession is highly regulated. My daughter is an emergency room doctor. Um, she's not allowed to give away information about individual patients, but she is allowed to talk. <laughs> Financial um, services people are not allowed to give away stock trading advice in certain ways, but they're allowed to talk. Um, I heard my the name of my buddy Mitch Jackson mentioned a moment ago. He's a uh, a very successful attorney. Um, and yes, he is allowed to talk, even though the legal profession is highly regulated. I think what people are are hiding behind is fear. They're fearful about a new way to communicate. And actually, it's not even that new anymore. But what we're doing now um, has been around for a while. But ways to communicate through video, through social audio, through um, social media like um, Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and others, and um, through Amazon Live and, and other platforms, people can communicate. But because it's new and different, people get fearful and then they naturally hide behind, oh, we have regulations. We're not allowed to talk. That's what I see a lot. Yeah. And, and um, I guess another thing to add to this and, and something that, that Mitch does, but something that I see uh, that you do a lot is don't be fearful of something new that launches because this could yeah. be what is, you know, or what could become the next thing, whether that's, you know, in, involving yourself in, in the metaverse or whether it's involving yourself more in social audio yes. or, or whatever the new, you know, now it's TikTok, you know, it was Snapchat, still is sort of, but whatever that next thing is, if you just are sitting back and allowing it for you not to, you know, at least invest something into what you're doing. Um, it, it seems to not just pass you by, but, um, you know, it steamrolls you and you wished you had, you had done it before. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and how you apply those tactics? I think that's definitely true that whenever there's a new social network, and I remember it all the way back to when YouTube first started and, um, <laughs> remember the blender manufacturer and they made the will it blend yes. uh, YouTube videos and, and they were super successful because they were among the first businesses to figure out how to do YouTube really well. And that's continued every time there's a new social network, there's a couple of people, there's organizations, there's, uh, there's all sorts of, of types of companies and products that figure out how to uh, use that new social network. And almost always, it's not taking what you knew, you know, from another social network or another form of communications and applying it. And I saw that in a huge way um, at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I'm used to giving 30 or 40 speeches around the world, in-person speeches around the world. And in March 2020, everything was canceled. And so all of a sudden, people started to do virtual presentations. They became big. Virtual conferences and events became big. But the problem is that people took what they already knew, which was an in-person talk, and then tried to stuff it into a Zoom room, and it just didn't work, which is the reason that I've set up the studio that I'm presenting from now. I've got a 
a number of different um, views and cameras that I can call up of all sorts of interesting ways that I can generate attention using the studio. And it was a different way to communicate. And I was very early to use this kind of technology. Um, same thing with uh, people who gravitated quickly to, um, for example, Twitch or, for example, Snapchat or, for example, social audio. But I do want to counter that mm-hmm. with another thought that I think is equally important. So it's a matter of figuring out the right balance. And that is, I do also believe, even though it is um, a good idea to jump into the new um, uh, social networks or the new forms of communications when they arise to be successful, I also believe strongly in the idea of focus. I think it's much better to do a great job on one social network. Let's just choose one LinkedIn, for example, a great job on LinkedIn than it is to do a mediocre job in 15 other social networks or five other social networks. Because I think if you're doing a great job in the social network that your buyers um, are frequenting, let's say in your, you're a B2B company, LinkedIn is very important. Do a great job in LinkedIn. It's probably going to be better than if you're chasing every new social network that comes along and you've got a presence in, in uh, TikTok and Snapchat and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook um, and, and LinkedIn and you're not focusing enough on the people that you're trying to reach. I love that you said that because I think a lot of times, uh, especially as uh, solo entrepreneurs, you feel like you got to do all the things. And if you are by yourself or maybe you're hiring a couple of VAs or whatever, you still can't do all the things. And, and you have to, yeah, I mean, it's, it's sales and marketing 101. Like who are you talking to? Um, you know, exactly what are they doing? Where are they hanging out? Now, I mean, yes. Snapchat may not be my, the, my most favorite thing. And, you know, newsflash, it's not. Um, but if Snapchat happens to be the best place for us, guess what we're going to do? We're going to focus on making ourselves better th- on that. And then we're going to crack open this book and we're going to read about Snapchat. And because, uh, you know, listen, if there's, if there's ever a resource for you that are watching here on all the tubes and listen, we've got a ton of people that are hanging out here on LinkedIn and Twitter and we're getting a lot of comments. Everybody's fired up. Listen, this book, uh, is chock full of, and when I say chock full, that's super thick, but don't think you got to read it cover to cover. It's a great evergreen resource for you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the eighth edition, which started. How many years ago? 12 years ago was the first edition? 2007. So 15, 15 years, 15 ago. years yeah. ago. See, I can't do math. Is there a section on math in here, Dave? No. Um, so, <laughs> there is um, a section on how to use um, AI and data, but... Yeah. Um, yes, yes. And, we'll and definitely, it's, been, yeah. it's kind of remarkable. 15 years, it's remarkable because at the time, it's like this stuff is super new. And for many organizations, it's still super new. <laughs> Fifteen years later, it's still considered new. So it's super, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, we definitely should roll into AI because I'd love to do that. So if you're on any other place besides Amazon, come on over to Amazon. Uh, we've got uh, David's new uh, book in the carousel, dealcasters.live. I'll send you right here in the chat where Johnny Kong is here. 
Thanks for uh, hanging out. Of course, Mitch Jackson is just lighting it up over <laughs> on the Amazon. So uh, we love that, Mitch. Mitch, buy yourself another couple of copies of this and, and <laughs> gift it to some friends while you're out there paddleboarding. Actually, uh, Mitch, Mitch had a super interesting uh, social media post uh, came out yesterday. It was him on a paddleboard with a copy of the new rules of marketing. I saw that. Which is so interesting to me because um, I'm not a paddleboarder. I'm I'm a surfer. There is no way that I could ever do that without soaking the book like crazy. But Mitch managed managed it. So he is a a man of superhuman um, strengths and uh, abilities in all regards. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Um, So... Artificial intelligence. I love that you segued there, David. And uh, you, uh, you and and Jim and and myself have mutual friends. Uh, some of which are, you know, Chris Bro from Lately is here yes. in the chat. Nice, um, hey, Chris. It, uh, and so um, AI is something that I think we could probably broad based and say most people are don't know about it enough. And so maybe they're a little fearful of it. But I love your uh, your stuff in the new book about AI because you have us think differently about how we should treat AI in terms of our, our marketing. Yeah. So the first thing that's really important is just to step back and and just think about what AI is and how it's being used today and what that might mean to sort of educate you if AI is sort of new or, or, or something you're not familiar with. And it's just simply applying math to a whole bunch of data. And uh, you experience AI every day. I mean, one of the, it, the, one of the ways that we all experience AI is if you're using a platform um, to look at video like Netflix, um, and it looks at what you've already seen and then suggests new things. Now, I think Netflix is going too far in that direction. Um, I'm a fan of rock documentaries, and I've watched a number of them. And all of a sudden, that's all they're serving up to me, <laughs> as if there's no other content on Netflix. Um, so I think organizations have a tendency to rely too much on AI. So think about AI from that perspective. I also think that um, the social network uh, AI algorithms, in some cases, have gone way too far, especially Facebook. I think the Facebook AI algorithm is among the most destructive technologies ever invented. And I believe that because what they do, what the Facebook algorithm is doing is it's sorting people into groups based on the content that they look at. And so in this country, um, it's the red team against the blue team, for example. And because when people are angry, they consume more content. Facebook knows this. Facebook serves more content to make you angry because you'll stay on the platform longer, allowing them to sell more ads. And this leads directly to things like the events of um, of January 6th. So I'm a big... Um, a big problem with some of the algorithms that are out there. However, from a marketer's perspective, you're probably using algorithms and not even knowing it. If you're using the social network's ad platforms, um, Twitter or LinkedIn or, or Facebook's ad platforms, there's tons of AI built into that so that you know uh, that when you're sending your um, advertisements that they're being targeted to the right people. Um, um, we're also, um, you know, Chris is on. Thank you, Chris, for being here. And our friend Kate from Lately. This is a service that I've been using now for about a year. I've also an investor in the company. 
It's an algorithm that takes long-form content, breaks it into short-form content. So for example, text or video, drop it in to the AI platform. It reads the content and then creates from a, from a say, a long-form text-based, uh, like a blog post, creates individual tweets from a long-form video, like something we're creating right now, creates social video of a minute or less, and then you can then schedule those videos to go out. So again, math applied to a big data set. And this is very, very powerful for marketers to understand both the limitations of AI as and the dangers of AI, but also the tremendous opportunities that AI um, allows for us um, if you if you can find the sorts of platforms like like lately that make your job easier, that allow you to reach more people, that allow you to repurpose content in very very awesome ways. Yeah, and and you know what, what lately always says is they'll they'll get you to third base, and you as the human will bring it home, right? Yeah. And that's absolutely. Um, and so I I guess you know let's kind of you know. I know this is this looks like a big commercial for lately, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of artificial intelligence outside of just uh, social media platforms, and and we use it uh, we use lately a lot. But how important is it for someone? Obviously, again, looking at you know uh, kind of garnering your time and how you apply it to all of the things that you want to do. A lot, a lot of people are looking for easy buttons, and they're yeah. like, well, this artificial intelligence thing. I can give it to the robot, and then the robot can just do it for me, and um, I don't really need to worry about you know hashtags or my own voice or things. How important is it for um, the human to be involved in a lot of this? I don't think we're there where you just give it to the robot and you go away. I mean, I think I think that in all cases, the technology helps. Um, humans to do a better job or to be more efficient or to generate more content than we could otherwise. I don't think there's a replacement. I mean, there are a few AI-generated content um, uh, delivery technologies that have pretty much completely taken away humans, but they're very specialized. For example, um, uh, technology can read a an earnings press release from a publicly traded company and parse that out to create um, a, an article for, say, Associated Press or Reuters. But that's very different than writing a blog post or creating a tweet or creating a, an Instagram post. Yes, artificial intelligence can help, but humans are super important. Now, I, I am a massive fan of repurposing content. Repurpose, repurpose, repurpose. I, I I write a blog, have write typically once a week. That blog posts then become the um, important parts of a new edition of a book or a new book I'm going to write. The blog post becomes things I can share on social networks. The blog post becomes a riff that I might deliver in a speech going forward. So I do my my kind of my best thinking, I think of it as, as when I'm writing a blog post and I always write blog posts. I take good, good care and time doing it, knowing that that content can be repurposed in many different ways. In some cases, 
using technology and using AI services like Lately to be able to uh, repurpose it easier than if I were manually doing it myself. But humans are so critically important. Otherwise, you end up sounding like a robot. And it's not what you want to do. Yeah, and, and and that was a point you made in the book about using AI. Is like you can kind of tell if someone just let the AI do it versus if, if a human is actually involved. And that's a something people need to think about because there are all these programs coming out. And I feel like you're like, oh, I'm just gonna throw it into the AI machine and post it, and it's like it doesn't doesn't have that human connection sometimes. And, and there, uh, there's dangers in doing that too. I mean, one of the examples that I talk about that most people can relate to is. Uh, if you're doing a search on a stock photo photo site and you want to get a picture of a CEO, you type in CEO, it generally delivers middle-aged white men pictures. And we all know that there's all kinds of 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 people, different ages, different genders, look different. Um, who are CEOs of companies? I mean, we just talked about Kate, a CEO of a company who's a a woman. So um, this idea of relying exclusively on AI is is going to pose many challenges. Um, and I, I just recommend you need to get that human in there. Yeah, um, I finally found it. I was, I was thumbing through the spot in the book. I'm not going to read this verbatim, but I think it, it's pertinent to the, to the conversation. Because um, you were talking about an institute that... Um, that uh, sort of teaches AI uh, ground up. Um, and the Marketing AI Institute is what's, thank what it's you. called. Thank yeah. you, the Marketing AI Institute. And um, they say here, here is um, a succinct list of what AI cannot offer. Yeah. Curiosity, creativity, empathy, emotion, intuition, and maybe most of all, imagination. Absolutely right. That's my friend, Paul Reutzer, who's the president of the um, Marketing AI, and AI Institute. Great organization, tons of free content. If you want to dig in, learn more about AI, it's a great place to go. But that's absolutely right. And it's such a great list. Um, imagination, creativity. I mean, those things are amazing when it comes to marketing. Um, and AI is not good at that. Another thing that AI is not necessarily good at is understanding when there's uh, an important change and something that is an entire chapter in the New Rules of Marketing and PR, the eighth edition, is the idea of newsjacking. And another chapter is the idea of real-time marketing. So I mentioned at the top of the show, my first job was at a bond trading desk. And I learned how important real-time instant engagement is because that's how bond traders make money. They uh, Something happens, bang, they make a trade. Um, and we marketers and business people, when something changes in our industry, there's a new um, news story that comes out, a new government regulation is announced. Um, there's a change in the weather. I mean, depending on your business, that can be huge. That is an opportunity to create instant content, something I call newsjacking. When somebody is communicating back to you, that's an opportunity to instantly engage. I call that real-time marketing. And AI is not necessarily good at that, not necessarily good at processing when there's a change uh, or when there's a piece of news that comes out. Again, the, the humans becoming involved super yeah. important. Jim, you want to know how you've made it? You've made it when you create a word and it gets inserted into a dictionary. 
Ah, there and you that's, go. That's what uh, that's what newsjacking um, has done. And um, uh, yeah, newsjacking is in the Oxford English Dictionary, and they mentioned me when they decided to to list it a couple years ago, which is kind of super exciting to, yeah. to have a word that um, I'll never win an Oscar, I'll never win a Grammy, but hey, I got a word in the dictionary. You're in the dictionary. <laughs> I think it's cooler than winning a Grammy, to be honest. There you, know? you go. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, you know, th- what a segue in, into music. So obviously, you're a huge Grateful Dead fan and you have this this passion times, I don't know how many. Again, a not a math not a math major here, David. Um, <laughs> but um, I spent a long time in the music industry um, cool. and uh, with a company that actually had, um, you know, distributed Grateful Dead music, by the way. Nice. Um, and attended one Grateful Dead concert. So that's about all I know, um, as far as Grateful Dead is concerned. But, you know, I think as entrepreneurs, and, you know, the number one job everybody wants when they're, you know, 16 and they're asking everybody what they, what they want to be when they grow up is to be a YouTuber, right? Mm, right. And they want to, they want to do that because that just seems like this glorious thing. Yeah. Until they find out how long it takes to monetize and all of that hard, fun stuff. It's hard but, work. <laughs> right. Exactly. You got to do, you got to put in the work. And part of putting in the work is, is looking at your potential super fans. Right. Yes. And, and when I, you know, spent a good bit of time in the music industry and working with, you know, companies like Spotify and Apple Music with streaming services, there was that super fan thing tossed yep. around. Yeah. So um, how does one cultivate that, whether you're a business or whether you're an uh, entrepreneur or, you know, I know it's a very general thing, but how does one cultivate these people who will follow you up a hill that will be David Meerman Scott at his 400th Grateful Dead show? Uh-huh. Not quite that many. I think I'm at 86 Grateful Dead concerts. But um, I, I've been studying this idea of fandom now for um, a couple of decades because it's so fascinating to me. Uh, I wrote a book called Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead. I also wrote this book called Fanocracy with my daughter. And what I learned from studying the idea of deep fandom is the idea that we humans are hardwired. It's in our brains, in our DNA to want to be part of a tribe of like-minded people. Because when we're with a tribe of like-minded people, we feel safe and comfortable. It goes back tens of thousands of years. If you're Sitting around the fire with uh, with your tribe, you're safe and comfortable. If you encounter another tribe uh, when you're out in the bush, that is a dangerous thing. And that's still part of the way that we humans operate. So we're always looking to find a tribe of like-minded people. And you, you're building a tribe here. You can build a tribe virtually as well. The Grateful Dead built a tribe of like-minded people. And I, and I love that they've done that in many different ways. One of the most interesting ones to me is the Grateful Dead was the first band to allow fans to record their concerts. Every other band said no. If you went into a Rolling Stones concert or a Who concert, a Pink Floyd concert, they said, no way. You cannot bring your recording gear in. The Grateful Dead said, sure, why not? And in early days, it was cassette tapes and later on MP3 files that people could share. And they, the band said, give it away trade it with people, totally fine. We just don't allow you to sell that music. And having that music circulate of thousands of different Grateful Dead concerts got people like me when I was 17 years old to go to my first Grateful Dead concert because I wanted to experience the music live. 
So that idea of building fans is give more than you ever thought you had and give people a way that they can build that tribe. Um, and interestingly here and what we're doing now, and you mentioned YouTubers and, and, and these different ways of people um, connecting, there's actually, that's also rooted in neuroscience. So one neuroscientist whose name is Edward T. Hall identified the different levels of how important it is to be close to other humans. Again, this tribe of like-minded people. And it turns out there's several different ways he's identified um, how far you are from another human being. So, and this is in-person physical. Um, 12 feet or further away, he called public space. And our brains know people are in our public space, but we don't track them. Inside of about 12 feet, you begin to track people um, because we need to know, are those friends part of our tribe or potential enemies? Um, you walk into a cocktail party, you immediately scans the, scan the room. It's even an unconscious thing. You're looking to make sure that there's no danger. You're looking for the people who are your friends, part of your tribe. And inside of four feet personal space where the most important um, emotional attachments happen. So what about video? Well, there's another form of neuroscience. It's called mirror neurons. And mirror neurons are the part of our brains that fire when we see somebody doing something as if we're doing it ourselves, which I will now demonstrate with a lemon and a slice of lemon. If I take a bite of this slice of lemon, my brain will fire. But because of the power of mirror neurons, your brains are firing too. Even if you're listening to this only as a podcast, your brain will fire as I take a bite of this lemon. So, wow, a lemon, super powerful, makes my eyes kind of close and water a little bit. My, I can feel it on my tongue. I can feel it on my lips. Biting a lemon is powerful. My brain is firing. Your brains are firing too. Now, the, what this has to do with video is when you're filming video through the power of mirror neurons, through the power of physical proximity to another human, your brains are, and our brains are firing as if we're in the same room with someone on video who's cropped it sort of like we've done with this show as if you're about four feet or around there away from somebody. This is precisely why you feel you know a movie star. This is precisely why you think you know a television star. Intellectually, you know you've never met that movie star, but your brain fires and says, I know this person personally. This is a very long way of saying that if you want to build fans, Use these techniques that YouTubers are using. Use these techniques that we're using right now, that Jim and Chris are using, the, the way that they've cropped these videos, the way that they're talking directly to the camera. This is a way to build fans, and all of us have the ability to do that in the way that we communicate using video as a form of marketing. And I love that it's rooted in neuroscience. And I forgot what question you asked me, but I just... That's okay. It's so fascinating to riff on this idea of <laughs> why our brains are reacting to yeah. this. Yeah, that is um, that's that absolutely amazing. fascinating. Um, it's, 
It's so true. It's so very true. Absolutely I mean, David, true. I'm sure you've had experiences where you've walked into a room and somebody who you've never met before came up and started talking to you like you knew them. Yes. And I'm sorry, my name is David or whatever, it, it, you know, yours and they're, they're like, oh, you know, I feel like I know you already. Yes, all the I, time. You know, because yeah. they've, and they may have only listened to your audio podcast, yeah. which I think, and you know, so, so we're talking visually, right? Um, Visually is important. Audio too, because anyone who heard me talking about taking a bite of lemon was probably feeling that lemon on in their mouth as well. But video is way, way, way more powerful when it comes to this idea of mirror neurons. Amazing, amazing. And I know we've got we've got just a, a few more minutes because I know you've got a hard stop. We do have some questions, sure. um, you Let's know, that it. are that are coming in uh, from all over the tubes. And thanks everyone for. Uh, for let me uh, let me grab one here. So Nina wants to know what made you so passionate about getting this new addition into the hands of your audience. So what's really important is the strategies have remained the same over 20 years and 15 years of the new rules of marketing and PR. That is um, that you can spend money in ads. You can try to convince the media to write or broadcast about you. You can hire salespeople to knock on doors. Uh, those, if those are working great, but a better way is to create content and engage with people, build fans. Um, but there's always new tools. There's always new stories that I want to put in the book. So, uh, in this particular edition, new ideas around, um, artificial intelligence. In this new edition, new ideas around social audio. In this new edition, new ideas around the use of, of a short form video like TikTok. Um, so there's always new new ideas and new stories that I want to put into the book, which is why I updated about every two years. Now a brand new eighth edition. Wow! And we have, uh, I think we have time for this one last question. I think sure. the one from uh, Gabe, Chris, if uh, you want to bring that up. And that was there's a lot of questions here. I should have started. Yeah. Uh, well, the, David, the, thank quest, you so the question much was, for, yeah, uh, which one of your books was the most difficult to write and publish? Wow, that's interesting. Um, my first book was a novel. That was a little bit tough to to write just because fiction involves so much more than nonfiction. But the one I did the most work on, um, the single it, book I did the most work on is a, the book I wrote called Fanocracy because I wrote it with my daughter. And the reason is because we screwed up when we first started writing it. We screwed up because we tried to write it in one voice. So, mm-hmm. you know, I we wrote it and then we edit it such that it felt like it was one voice with two authors and it just wasn't working. So mm. we basically completely had to redo the book where I took a chapter and it said like chapter two by David, chapter three by Reiko, chapter th- four by Reiko, chapter five by David. And we each had our own voice come through. We're utterly different writers. She's a better writer than I am. And, uh, and so that, um, made the book way, 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 way better in it, but also took twice as long to write. Wow. Amazing, well, I can take amazing. another couple if you guys have those two more questions. I'm happy to take a couple more. Um, we I Well, a couple, a lot of, I think you've answered a number of these. By the time we got to, um, you know, we got through a number of these things, it, you you definitely have answered a oh. number of these. More, more right. related to... Eighth edition. How is that different from previous editions, which you've uh, which you've uh, answered uh, a few times? So uh, appreciate and that. Also, so, yeah. also, interestingly, I take things away. 
So, oh. um, right, uh, Google Plus. Remember Google Plus? It yes. didn't, it didn't yeah. exist in the first couple editions. Then I added it because all of a sudden Google now has a social network. How cool is that? It was an important part of the book for a couple of editions. It no longer exists, so I had to get rid of it. Um, and so there's other um, social networks that have completely gone away as well. Like, for example, Vine. Remember Vine? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Video. Oh, yeah. Um, the TikTok and, before there was TikTok, right? Exactly right. And what's interesting about this, and I think it's an important lesson, is that you know, if you focus on a particular social network, Vine or Google Plus are two examples, um, they can completely go away. All your content can disappear. All your connections can disappear. Um, so the lesson I take from that is social networks are great, but every single business needs a home base on the web that they own. That's typically your website or a blog or a combination of the two, but something that you own, a URL that you control so that you're not only at the mercy of a social network that they may go away like those two examples, but also a social network can change the way the algorithm works and your content is no longer seen. That's happened to some friends of mine where yeah. they were very popular on a social network, getting hundreds or even thousands of views a week. And then all of a sudden, bang, the algorithm changes and they get no more views at all. Mainly that's because the social network has now decided to, to get you to pay to get that exposure. Um, but you're at the mercy of a social network if you're focused on it. So you need your own home base on the web. Right. Stay off the, well, you, you, you can be on rented land, but, you know, the stuff that you own, so to speak, um, you know, definitely look to build that and email 100%. lists and things, things that you can, you, if, if the bottom falls out on whatever platform, including this one that we're on right now, right? So you got to work, uh, you got to work off the, off the platform. So. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Carbine Public of Amazon, make sure you pick up uh, this amazing book, the eighth edition of uh, The New Rules of Marketing and PR. This has been just amazing. David, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you one final question yeah, if I could. Sure. So you're updating each one of these editions with, you know, like taking out the Google Pluses and the Vines and adding you know, the TikToks and, and all of the social audio and the things. So, so any new addition is obviously going to be, but what would you say are uh, maybe a few of the evergreen things that if you had edition one um, and you are picking up um, edition eight, what are, what's the DNA of this that, that rings true and is uh, sort of, you know, the spine of each one of these editions? So super important is that you now can control your own destiny. And it's incredibly liberating that you no longer have to pay for attention. Now you can generate attention yourself. To me, that's, that's incredibly liberating. And that's been the case in every edition of the book. The idea of real-time connection. The idea that if, if somebody e sends you a message, somebody comments about you on a social network. Um, there's something that happens in the news. That is super interesting. And that will remain being interesting going forward. There's a number of other things that have been consistent, but one of the most important ones, and I, I, uh, people sometimes don't recognize this, but this kind of marketing and communications and public relations is fun. <laughs> you yeah. know, I've had so many people tell me over the years, oh my God, marketing, you know, that's something <laughs> that 
that's something that I dread and I'm terrible at it. And I hire someone to do it for me. But no, I mean, how cool. Look, we've just spent a fun hour together chit chatting yeah. and it's, it's a form of marketing and, and, you know, having a conversation, creating a video, writing, whatever you're into, writing or creating videos or, or doing audio, whatever it might be, shooting photographs, putting it on Instagram, whatever it is that you love to do, um, that can be your marketing. So marketing can be fun. Public relations can be fun. Communications and sales can be fun. If you let it be fun, you're going to build a more um, engaged tribe of like-minded people, build fans. And, you know, you may end up like me and never, ever have to make a sales call again because people just want to come to you because you attract them based on what you're doing. That is awesome. David, thank you so much. I My mean, this has pleasure. been amazing. And uh, may maybe we can get you back for the ninth edition. Uh, Let's when, do when it. That comes out. Let's do awesome. it. <laughs> All right. So we put that on our calendar, Chris. And uh, so, yeah, folks, this has been great. Uh, David, thank you so much for My joining pleasure. us. Thank, thank you, Jim, very much. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks, David. And as always, everyone, don't fear the gear. Thanks for listening to Dealcasters. Congratulations, you've taken another step forward in your content creation journey. Please don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button here in your favorite podcast player so you can be reminded every time we drop an episode. We love hearing from our listeners and viewers. And if you're wanting to watch our shows live on Amazon, feel free to follow Dealcasters Live as well at dealcasters.live. Follow us on Twitter or subscribe to our YouTube channel where we also included added content that you cannot find anywhere else. If you have questions about this episode or have something you want us to review, you can also email us at dealcasters at dealcasters.live. Thanks again for listening. And you know the deal. Don't fear the gear.